A note. Following advice from work-life imbalance may lead to action being taken by HR, your family, the authorities, or higher powers. Welcome to Work-Life Imbalance, with a very special All the Horror episode. Today, we'll be discussing John Carpenter's The Thing with special guests One Giant Leap for Geeks. I'm your monstrous manager, Frank Eastman. And I'm your lovable office companion, Derek Lewis. As Frank said, we have the wonderful One Giant Leap for Geeks podcast with us, so why don't you introduce yourselves, guys? Um, I'm Mike C. Squared, uh, the host of One Giant Leap for Geeks. I'm Benoit, and I'm here for the lols. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and like Frank said at the top, we are going to be discussing my personal favorite movie, John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982. Uh, let's start with a little synopsis for those of you that are not familiar. I mean, what kind of monster hasn't watched The Thing? <laughs> 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 Shots fired. Well, I'll be. This sounds pretty esoteric. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's let's discuss the elephant in the room. Is that Mike? As you have told us, you just watched it today. Yes. What has kept you from from watching this wonderful piece of cinema for so long? You know, to be honest with you, um, I this is going to sound very schnobbish and like. Um, pretentious it but already I, does i know right <laughs> I, I i have a hard time going back and watching older movies especially older horror movies that i've never seen before just because right. i i have become so accustomed to today's film sensibilities and things like that that when i go back and watch it i'm like ah oh, man this is a rough watch but yeah. with this one it, it was actually a pleasant surprise i, I actually enjoyed myself and I will say that I completely understand that. And I'm, I'm actually a lot of the same way uh, for a lot of movies, especially like, you know, older classics and things like that, like especially things from like the 60s and 70s. Like they really um, I mean, back then it was it was cutting edge. Like, don't get me wrong. Like they were still ahead of their time in a lot of cases. But, you know, there are a lot of things that they do a lot more poorly back in the day. And you know, like you said, you become kind of sensitive to, you know, to bad quality, um, not necessarily the writing quality, but like how HD something is like, if it's not HD, it's, you know, my eyes have become accustomed to HD video and I, and I get that. And, and it took me a while to warm up to older movies. Um, uh, cause bef honestly, before, before I was, uh, you know, dating and, and married my wife, I didn't really watch older movies that much. Like sure. I would just watch the stuff that came out. Um, and that's about it. But she is such a cinephile that, you know, essentially I have watched hundreds and hundreds of older movies. Uh, maybe not always super closely. Like, there's some that, that she'll put on and, you know, I'll just, like, work on something while it's on. Uh, but, yeah, it, it definitely, uh, it takes a while to warm up to, to older things. And, and the first time I watched the thing, I was like, yeah, that's good. Then by about the 30th time uh, she made me watch it. <laughs> I was like, this is, this is really good. And uh, eventually I got to where it was kind of like, um, there are only a few, a handful of movies that I consider like every time they're on, 
I'm going to watch them, you know, one sure. of which being like Shawshank, like Shawshank Redemption is one that like, no matter how many, how many times they played on TNT, I'm still going to turn on and watch it. But, uh, eventually the thing became that for me and we've watched it, you know, multiple times per year, uh, especially during, uh, October. So, um, so I, I get that if, unless you had somebody to evangelize you into John Carpenter's the thing, I can see how you might skip it. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> I, I I just love how it took 29 additional viewings for you to finally be like, you know, this is good. <laughs> I, I think at that point it's Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yes, I love this. <laughs> it's so good. Please don't kill me. <laughs> I'm not going to say that had nothing to do with it. Uh, eventually, I mean, at, at some point it became easier to say I liked it than to, to say why I didn't like it uh, and then be told I was dumb. So uh, are you saying so- that... <laughs> Over time, it got inside you and transformed you, Derek? It did. <gasps> Ooh, good callback. That's nice. Uh, I had built up a pretty strong resistance to it in the beginning, apparently. Um, unlike, <laughs> unlike the members of the U.S. research station uh, in, an, in, in <laughs> Antarctica, uh, early winter 1982, the base is suddenly buzzed by a helicopter from the nearby Norwegian research station. They're trying to kill a dog that has escaped from their base. After the destruction of the Nor- Norwegian chopper, the members of the U.S. team fly to the Norwegian base, only discover them all dead or missing. They do find the remains of a strange creature the, Nor- the Norwegians burned. Well, so this one is in the middle of the of the kind of remake series because uh, it was based on uh, a much older movie. I believe it was called uh, The Thing from Outer Space. Um, so, you know, John Carpenter's ni- 1982 The Thing is a remake. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And then in 2011, it was remade. At, you know, basically it was a, it was a prequel, um, but it was kind of a yeah, they did a lot of the same things they did. It was a in, remake pretty much. It, yeah, <laughs> it was basically a remake um, that they just kind of justified by calling it a prequel. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, with this one, you know, one of the things that impressed me the most and, and continues to, to impress me is the just the staggering quality of the practical effects in the movie. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, almost, you know, I mean, they, they had no real ability to do, you know, CGI or anything like that back in the 80s. And the amount of like really gruesome shit they were able to do uh, with just practical effects is, is pretty mind blowing. Yeah, that chess game on the computer, top notch. <laughs> I mean, I can't even get those kind of graphics on my smartphone right now. Come on, Android, oh, step up your yeah. game. Oh, yeah. Oh. No, I think that, one year was... later, we had war games, too. So, you know, look at how technology advanced. <laughs> no, honestly, that was probably my favorite part of the entire movie is the little chess wizard computer. Because not just because of how antiquated slash advanced it is because it's like you right. know, AI talking to him on his, you know, like old right. school black and green computer. But at the same time, just how they built a computer that only has the one function of playing chess. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, the funny thing, or one of the things that I loved about uh, the movie is that there are, there are a lot of like, you know, somewhat subtle or, or not so subtle, uh, just little funny things that happen. Cause there's a lot of like really gritty shit that's going on throughout the movie. But, uh, you know, one of the lines that I love in the movie, um, is essentially, you know, he gets his ass kicked by, uh, pretty much the only real entertainment they have on, on the entire base, you know, that chess computer. <laughs> and he just dumps that fucking scotch <laughs> into the computer, uh, and calls it a cheating bitch. And mm-hmm. it is so, 
<laughs> it is so funny. And like I said, I've watched it probably 50 times, 60 times at this point. Um, and every time that happens, I still laugh because <laughs> maybe because I, I work with computers. So like, that's what I want to do to my computers all day, every day, whenever they taunt me with their superiority. <laughs> well, not only was that a great form of levity real early in the, you know, the movie to kind of distract you from the tone it's going to take later on, but it also actually shows you the tensions that mound up from a bunch of guys just in Antarctica with no real communication to the outside. Absolutely. Like, you could tell they were already somewhat on edge just from being there. And they oh, were yeah. supposed to be there for what, like six months or something? Right. I mean, they basically it shows the mounting of, of cabin fever. I, I, like I said before, I, I think it's hilarious that he decided to fuck up the only means of entertainment they had, period. Uh, but yeah, it, it yeah, definitely shows that. I was waiting for that, a line later in the movie for somebody to say like, you know, hey. Where's, uh, where's, where's the computer? It's <laughs> <laughs> like you took it up to your little post or whatever. And we ain't seen it since. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll get it later. Don't, don't worry. Hey, is that an alien? Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, guys, the, the alien, it, it got the chess computer, too. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would actually well, have been really sweet. <laughs> right. <laughs> um yeah, so you know, this cast was was pretty fantastic. And there were there were a few people on the cast that you know didn't seem to do a whole lot other than like character acting work. But you know, the the main character, uh McCready, is played by the amazing Kurt Russell. And you know, I think that it is probably I mean, obviously I'm biased, but I think it's probably his best role just because he I, I can't imagine anybody playing it better than Kurt Russell could. could. That's fair. No, That's fair. I, I'm going to have to actually agree with that at the time. I couldn't think of anybody else who was. And even then, Kurt Russell wasn't necessarily a real big name. He still had, you know, some notoriety to him then. And right. when when I saw his performance in this film, it it almost made me want to change the title to John Carpenter's Escape from Antarctica. <laughs> I, I just got vibes so hard from the way he acted in this film absolutely absolutely and then on top of that you have uh mr diabetes oh wilford yes. brimley, oh, uh, wilford brimley. Best, yes doing like the best facial acting of like any character oh. in this movie when he's doing so the good. autopsy of the creature, the uh, uh, uh that, that whole bit was just <laughs> hilarious. And I was like, oh, Wilfred, how I've missed you. <laughs> right. And the thing was, like, uh, you know, one of the other favorite parts of the movie uh, is when Wilfred Brimley has been quarantined uh, out in one of the oh my God. Uh, out, outposts or one of the, the outer buildings of the outpost. And essentially... He's begging McCready to let him back in. And it's so fucking sad. Yeah. Like, uh, he's like, <laughs> I want to, guys, I'm, I'm really okay. I, I want to come back in. And I'm like, oh, Wilfred Brimley like, just. he's eating like pork and beans like right out of the yeah. can. He's like, no, I'm totally fine. No, did you catch <laughs> during that scene where he's like, it, the, 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 it was just so weird. Just like the whole situation because he's sitting there and he's eating the pork and beans and he's sad and he's like you know it's, it's totally fine i'm okay you can let me back in and the entire time he's having this conversation with kurt russell's character explaining how he's okay and that if he was freaked out he's better now there's this makeshift noose that he's created for himself that's just hanging in the middle of the shed and i'm like what did oh! you not notice that? No, the I 27 didn't. million times you watched the film, you did not notice that noose? Yeah, it's a because noose. I'm he just... made a noose, and it's like in the foreground. Like You have to like look past the noose to see him. You All really I can love see Wolf in that Burnley. scene, 
all I can see in that scene is a sad, pouty Wilford Brimley. Like, that's it. That's all I see. Derek was too busy having a sexual awakening. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he was going to David Carradine? That's what you're saying? Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> See now, you you uh, saying how it that was not only was that really great acting, but it almost makes you forget that Kurt Russell, Kurt Rad, I was gonna say I was gonna say his name from the Escape films. Anyway, Kurt <laughs> Russell, he seems so nonchalantly blunt, like no, and then he just slides the thing. Sh- yeah, he slowly right. closes like, the little door to the. <laughs> while yeah, he's still talking. It's like oh, it's like you know, <laughs> you got to give him credit. This entire film. He seems to be the only person that is just level-headed and just does no. He just does. He just does. He just does stuff. Right. Oh yeah. 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 I was almost waiting for him to reveal that he has some kind of military training or something because I'm like, you know, under all this pressure, you're really like it's all those chess wizard games he was playing up in the you know outpost <laughs> and you know he has all this strategy and he's like, you know, you can't fold under pressure. Right. I, I just attribute it to him being Kurt fucking Russell. I actually I agree. wrote <laughs> a note. I mean, I, I haven't seen this movie in quite a while, so I had to take notes so I wouldn't forget because I'm an old fuck now. But <laughs> literally, I think at three different points in my notes, it says McReady does this because he's Kurt fucking Russell. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, did you call him McReady? <laughs> yeah, McReady does it because it's... <laughs> hey, <yeah>. that works. <laughs> Well, hell, um, I. <laughs> funny enough, there is a character named Childs. Oh, kind of sidebar. This film, for all those people that watch, you know, suspenseful thriller horror films, there often is a trope where the black man's the first one to die. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There are right. two black men in this film. You see, ni- you see, neither of them die. Right. One of whom, <laughs> uh, Childs, played by Keith David. Really recognizable actor, especially if you are a fan of the Gargoyles animated TV series. Yes. That is fucking Goliath. Yes. yes. <laughs> and the other one, T.K. Carter, Knowles, I put him down as the cool guy because he was the first black person I saw in the film. And he was fucking, <laughs> like, rolling around on skates. like just, He's, like, the, he's just like the tootie. He's the tootie. <laughs> if you've seen the very first season of The Facts of Life, a uh, little known fact, too. He was also on the very first season of Saved by the Bell back when it was Good Morning, Miss Bliss. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, no. I, it was funny because the whole movie, I could not, for the life of me, remember Keith David's name. So in all of my notes, I just kept referencing him as the uh, Army Reserves guy because I know he does the voice for those commercials. <laughs> right. <laughs> so anytime he would talk, I was like, oh, it's the Army Reserves guy. Yeah, I know him. I love it. But that's the thing, is that he has one of the most recognizable voices oh, yeah. pretty much on the planet. Um, and most of the, the things that I've seen him in have been like like voice work. Like in uh Adventure Time, he's the that's right. Fire King. Yeah, he's the, the, right. the Fire King. And you know, as soon as you hear it, as soon as that character walks on stage and, and he talks, you're like, son of a bitch, that's that's Childs from or, or whatever reference you have for him. Like, you Spawn. know that that is him. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I've never seen Spawn. Um, no, not, not the movie, the animated show. The animated HBO, series. I've the, never, the I've never there. seen, I've never seen that. Um, you know, cause I didn't have HBO when I was, when I was younger. So like, there's a lot of shit on HBO I missed, but, <laughs> Fair. but yeah, so it, uh, 
he has one of the most recognizable voices that you can imagine. Um, but the thing is, like, even I, you know, seeing him, seeing him in this movie for so long, like, I still forget that his name is Keith David. Maybe because he has two very bland first names as a name. Like, <laughs> two very bland white person first names. Absolutely. Keith David. Well, his parents um, just wanted to ensure that he would always have job potentials when he would fill out a resume. Because <laughs> if it would have been like, you know, like Tyrone Jenkins, you know, it, it might not have worked out too well for him. So, yeah, Keith David. Was uh, sad to say, that is that is probably not far from the truth. <laughs> <laughs> just another practical effect of the film. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um but yeah, so the the casting characters are are pretty fantastic in this. Oh yeah, um, and and overall, I think that the the whole tone of the movie is is really great um, because they it it gets at at it ha- like you said it has those points of like levity where it kind of you know builds tension and then breaks a little bit with the levity and then something really bad happens like almost immediately after. Um, so it's a little bit of a bait and switch where you know you think oh they're they're doing something you know, with levity. Nothing bad's going to happen, and then something terrible fucking happens. Oh yeah, uh, like like one of the like probably my my all time favorite like because the the chess computer thing that's that's really funny. But my favorite line in the movie uh, is when uh, Gary, who is like I, I don't know what his actual role is, but he's basically the sheriff because uh, he's the one that's <laughs> yeah, got the gun. Much, yeah. Um. And so this is the scene when uh, McCready is basically forcing them all to. You know, tie themselves to the couch, and he's testing their blood to make sure that they are not uh, the thing. And uh, so he basically is going through and and testing everybody. And as they're they're being cleared, they're being you know let up off the couch. And so they, they they're going through and they haven't found anybody yet. And then they get to Gary, and he's like, "Oh, I got you, motherfucker!" And he tests it, and it's fine. And then Gary just very calmly he he starts off with. I know you gentlemen have been through a lot, but when you find the time, I'd rather not spend the rest of this winter tied to this fucking couch. Like, it's just <laughs> such amazing delivery. Um, and it's one of those those brief moments of levity. Uh, and then, like, immediately after, like, you think, okay, nobody nobody is going to be the, you know, the thing that he's testing their blood. Then the next one, it, like, jumps out of his fucking hand, and then hell breaks loose. Oh, yeah. Um, and it is such a such an artful way to kind of have those like dips and in, in valleys or uh, you know peaks and valleys of tension. Um, one one little like fun like movie fact about this is I guess um, during that scene where they're testing the blood, um, they actually have a tell to let you know which of the characters is the thing during that scene. What do you mean? Um, well, I guess the director um, John Carpenter he had. A, I guess what they call an eye light, where it's just kind of like a glimmer of light in the character's eye. So, like, it's, I guess, just a, a movie thing that they do to just, you know, give the scene more, you know, personality or emotion or something like that. So, when any of yeah. the characters, whenever the camera's on them, there's always like a small shimmer of light in their eye. And the one character that doesn't is the one that ends up being the thing. Oh. So he seemed less human before then. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He just kind of had dead eyes, as opposed to which I, I though my tell for that scene was the fact that he was the stoner dude. I was like, oh yeah, no, he's definitely fucked. <laughs> definitely. I'm like, if you're black, have sex or do drugs in any of these movies, you're fucked. Like that. That's just how these things go. Which 
Absolutely. By the way, it, it cracked me up that he was just so nonchalantly smoking pot at like the U.S. you know like federal research facility, and I'm like, you guys right? aren't gonna say anything about this, okay? Well, my, here's my, the thing: if somebody calls the cops on him, it's gonna be a while. Like that is fair. They, they're that gonna take fair. him a while to get there. <laughs> which 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 goes to my other point of if he's the pothead of the group. How is he getting his pot? <laughs> I'm like, surely he's not taking a helicopter question. on a pot run. And if they're going to be out there for the next six months, <laughs> I'm like, you're blowing through your stash like the whole first half of this movie. And I'm just like, all right, how is he well, getting more of this? He is not the only one smoking, though. There is a, a moment in Act 1 of the yeah. film still where they are watching films, uh, an episode of Let's Make a Deal. It was a repeat, so they switched the tape. And then him and another guy. Yeah, actually light Keith up David actually like a makeshift spliff yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I see that everybody was relaxing at the moment before anything went wrong and uh so th- so I want to comment on the fact that that the most unbelievable part of this movie was that after six months he would still have pot to smoke like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you're in Antarctica. You you have to learn to ration. Right. Well, clearly, he, no one taught him. Did you see how big that spliff was when they were watching the show? I was like, Jesus yeah, Christ! <laughs> I just figured anyway. one of the giant outbuildings was their you know hydroponic grow. Oh, see, there you go, Frank. That makes sense. I mean that that would actually like that's make what they were researching some amount of in sense. Antarctica. You know, how, how the elements <laughs> the? would affect, you know, pot growth. So, yeah, like extreme temperatures. They were trying to make a, you know, a uh, catch-all, you know, pot uh, strain that could just grow in any climate. The winter bud. <laughs> <laughs> now, oh, back God. to what you're saying about how the blood jumped and everything went to shit. Um, you mentioned that you could tell who the alien was just because of the glimmer in their eye or lack of glimmer. Mm-hmm. Right. I like how it was a nice logical jump. How <laughs> I'm gonna keep calling him McReady. How McReady was able to figure out how to use that test and how to utilize it by the fact right. that it came to be that the thing was not one individual organism. Right. Whenever it would take over a human to try and assimilate to him, it would have like every body part be its own organism, and it was right. through the whole like transformation of the head into a spider. That actually gave him the idea of testing the blood because he come to realize that the blood itself would be its own organism. Right. Whenever I'm watching it, I, I I often have that thought of like, I get why he would think that, but that still is kind of a, a decent logical leap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, look, Kurt Russell's been a lot of other like movies, so like I I get it. He knows he knows when shit's about to break bad, but uh, <laughs> you know to to know that you know essentially. The head split off. Like my only thought in that situation would have been just guttural screaming. Like I would not have been able to to distill that into. Oh wait, the head walked off and it's fine. It must. Everything must be its own thing. So I, I you know, kudos to him for being for having the presence of mind. Like like you said before, like his presence of mind in all this is astounding. Like yeah. he he is Johnny on the spot uh, for the entirety of it. And, uh, yeah, I would not have had the composure to try to, to to have some test to suss out who was what. I wouldn't know something was the thing until it literally bit me on the ass. Like, 
<laughs> well, he was able to vent his frustrations earlier in the film with the game of chess. Right, so he was, right. you know, he was mellowed out at this point. Maybe he caught a contact high. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, yeah, it opened up his mind to all the possibilities. I see where you're going. Okay. And now I'm not a hundred percent sure what the climate's like in Antarctica. I assume it's cold. <laughs> But there were scenes am, in the film, even sure during the day, right. where they were outside in the same type of clothing I wear when it's winter in Michigan. Right. Yeah. What time of year are they in? With all the sunlight? Is it, like, summertime in Antarctica? Like, what? They seemed really underdressed. That's what yeah. I'm getting at. Well, he did say it was the first week of winter. So, I guess, you know, it was just starting out. Which, which that kind of threw me off, too. Do they establish how much time has passed from the beginning to the end of the movie? I don't think I don't know if they actually address that because in my mind it had to have been fucking like weeks because Wilford Brimley, you know, besides him taking the time to make a noose for himself while he was in that tool shed, (laughs) he also (laughs) dug a tunnel like a mile deep and long into this big cavernous area where he's got all this equipment and shit and he's built his own makeshift spaceship underneath there. And I was like, when did he have the time? Because they even comment on it. He's like, uh, yeah, Doc's been busy down here. And I was like, well, yeah, no shit. Like, what the fuck? Where did he get all this from? <laughs> you can only jack off so many times. Right. <laughs> right. And the good thing, when, when, you're, when your penis you know, operates independent of your body, it can jack ah, off by itself. See, yeah. There you go. But, but spoiler alert, you see how he tunnels through, like, the worm from Resident Evil, like, in the very second yeah. to last scene. Yeah. So the guy's quick. Good point. Good point. So he's speaking of Resident Evil. When that dog grew tentacles, did that not remind you of like Silent Hill or Resident Evil? Like a absolutely. Mm -hmm. Although I I would say it's probably yeah, it's probably the opposite where (laughs) Resident Evil took some true true. took some inspiration from the thing. Oh Um, yeah, for sure. Especially with the the hellhounds. Yeah, I I I did want to bring up um, the. I, I didn't understand how some characters ended up being the thing and others weren't. Like I, right. my my favorite part about this movie was not the body horror or like the practical effects or any of the shit with the actual thing itself. My favorite part of of the movie in general was just the paranoia and how it was just slowly people not only losing trust in each other but just losing trust in their own sanity because. Right. The thing not only, you know, sneaks around and kills people and possesses them, like, in the shadows and off camera, but it also has the cognizance to, like, frame other characters, because it even tries to make it seem like McCready is the thing. Like, it takes his jacket and, like, rips it up and then puts it outside or whatever, and it was just... Things like that, and when they find uh, the one scientist guy who's trying to figure out the test, and he's just all burned, you never see what actually happens to him. So it just keeps building this sense of paranoia, like, okay, like you can't even trust who you assume to be the main character to not be, you know, the killer. Right. Yeah, and it does does that really, really well. (laughs) Well, And and part of my problem watching horror movies like this is that I, I constantly kind of like insert myself in the situation it's like what would i what would i do i i'm pretty sure that in that in that situation like i am far too trusting so i would be the first one to get got like i'd be like <laughs> the dog like, would have you know, got you yeah yeah like like the puppy <laughs> like the puppy's got them little feelers on top it's like oh that's a that's a new little neat thing you got going there let me oh, pet these you these norwegian oh, dogs shit. are nice 
<laughs> yeah, well, it was already weird. established that the the alien or the parasite or however you want to frame that was quite strong, quite durable. You know, could grow tentacles and teeth. But they more than once in the film mentioned how it only really strikes at night, which is not true because we've seen it attack in the light. Sure, and right. it doesn't like it likes to attack in one-on-one scenarios. He doesn't. But want let's be real. He does his business. Yeah, but let's be real. When it popped <laughs> off in in Windows, wait, am I thinking? Was it Windows? Yeah, it was Windows because Windows had the flamethrower, but he was way too slow. He had oh, more than yeah. ample time to light him up. Right. It like grabbed him by the head and ate his body as it was flailing him. <laughs> right. Let's be honest. Even if there were ten other humans in that room with guns, there's a good chance that alien could have taken them all out together. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think it was way too overpowered. Yeah, that's so. Why would it want to do this too. in secrecy? Yeah, especially by because, the end because it full on turns into like the Kraken by the end of the movie, and you're like, holy <laughs> shit! And not just that, but they speculated that it might have been buried in the snow for you know ten thousand, a hundred thousand years. Mm-hmm. Well, right. if it can hibernate like that, yeah, I mean, it's got to be super powerful and and, and like, like yeah, if, if it can hibernate, why like what what does it what does it hope to gain by like killing all these guys and then like and then what like i I guess maybe he doesn't know the geography of the planet um no well i I guess he you know he's been building the spaceship so if he can kind of take out some of the resistance then he can just fly the fuck out of this you know real weird place that uh (laughs) that put him on ice for ten thousand years that that's got to put him uh in a little bit of a you know irritable spot with the earth if you know they crash land and all of a sudden Oh shit, I'm frozen for 10,000 years. Um, so, w- one thing I was curious about, though, because we, we, we did establish in the movie, and maybe we established this as well, and I just didn't catch it, but we established that each one of its, you know, body parts or limbs, even all the way down to, like, a cellular level, was kind of like its own independent, you know, conscious thing. But was its goal to infect everyone individually, or was it just jumping from person to person? Because I know in the computer thing, it says, oh, the whole population could be taken over within, like, 27,000 hours or some such shit. And I'm just like, I never saw him be in more than one organism at one time. Or did I miss something there? That's a good, that's a good question. Because, like, they don't really, they don't really ever address the fact that if there are multiple people that are infected, like, are they working in cooperation? Are they working as as a hive mind? Like, do they have... Obviously, each cell has like a, a fight or flight instinct, but do they? Are they really like working in concert and you know talking to each other, or is it just like a hive mind? But yeah, they don't they don't necessarily address that so much. Were there not? Well, not that, but were there not when the dogs first transformed? Didn't one of them like climb up out of the pen while another one was in the middle of transforming? I think he was just hanging from the ceiling because they're shooting it and it's not on the ground anymore when they like torch it. It's like in the air. So I think he was just hanging there. I don't think he actually went up and out. My thought was, uh, wasn't Blair like trying to build this spaceship in the background of a lot of the film? So I I got I got the feeling that all of the rest of it was basically it just playing for time while the rest of it was building its escape route. That's a good mm, point. That's a good point. Because like you said, if it, it can, if it can just buy time uh, for you know one piece of the organism to, to build the spaceship to get them the fuck out, um, then it can just blast off. But I, I guess that that's another part of the question is, 
would it be a would it be acceptable for just one part of the organization organization what the fuck <laughs> um, for one part of the organism to escape or is it trying to get like all of it to hop in the spaceship and leave but they don't really address that so much but uh honestly though if uh, McCready hadn't uh, destroyed the fucking chess wizard that thing would have been out of there like you know after that first night he would have had that ship up and ready to go because I swear <laughs> the technology that they had in this movie like astounded me like the fact that they had a, a visual representation of like what the cell looks like when it like takes over another organism and impersonates yeah. it and it had like the AI was giving it like a timeline and like percentages of probability of who was infected and how long it would take and I'm just like i can't get my laptop to do that shit now i was like this is incredible like good job guys yeah so, i i mean i guess they are on a research base so if anybody had it like they might and I, i'm not exactly you know up on the technology they have at research bases but uh but yeah you you log into your windows pc that shit don't know how to do that now so <laughs> uh yeah for sure <laughs> All right, so let, let's do this. Uh, as a good way to close it out, let's go person by person and say your favorite thing about The Thing. All right, let's start with Benoit. My favorite part about this film, honestly, it's the fact that it doesn't fully address what the alien was, right. what its intentions were, or the limit of its capabilities. Right. This is more about a group of otherwise capable, intelligent advanced humans because let's be honest you can't be a dumbass if you're going to be the antarctica right how how a small community breaks down so goddamn quickly <laughs> when a parasite gets thrown in it, right that's it. it it's really it's it's a social experiment absolutely oh, that's, that's a good way to look disguised at as a horror film but it's more suspenseful than horror i would say right yeah all right mike what about you I would say that my favorite thing about this movie, my favorite thing about the thing is <laughs> how ambiguous the ending is. I, I like the fact that there is no definitive end to the movie and you can right. kind of just let your imagination run wild because by the end you have Keith David's character and Kurt Russell's character and they're s still not trusting of each other. And us as the audience, I mean, we assume that Kurt Russell is okay, but there right. really is no way to know because he could have gotten infected during his last confrontation with the thing. And right. just how, how it ends on a, a ambiguous note. And it, it it's almost like if this movie was made today, it would be basically considered sequel bait because you would just immediately right. go, okay, this is setting up the next movie. But no, it ends on that note and then it that's it like there is no you know now people have theorized you know who was the thing if either one of them were whatever whatever yada yada based on like you, whether or not you can see their breath and stuff yes. like that mm -hmm. all sorts of things mm -hmm. yeah yeah and there was theories that he gave him like kerosene in the bottle to drink and he wasn't affected like Kurt right. Russell wasn't actually drinking alcohol just all kind of crazy theories but it, <laughs> it it's not meant for you to know that's the beauty of it is that it ends on that note so you keep thinking about it and the movie kind of haunts you afterwards the most ridiculous part of the the kerosene <laughs> the, the fucking kerosene theory is the fact that you you fucking think that mccready would waste an entire fifth of j and b <laughs> just to try to catch the monster i mean well, did you see how much he spilt in his computer yeah that yeah, is true fair. that is true that's a good like what like two fingers three fingers worth of whiskey mm -hmm. so yeah you're exactly right all right frank what is your favorite part of the thing? 
originally I was going to say the ending, but I think that got covered fairly well. So ah. I think, <laughs> oops, for me, that good, I'm just going to well go ganked. with uh, with the sexual awakening that was brought about by <laughs> Wilfred Brimley. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was it was beautiful. It was uh, it's a weird time. But, I was bummed because yeah. he didn't have the mustache. That was what bothered me the whole movie. It was so weird seeing his raw <laughs> lip. <laughs> See the raw lip? That is a disgusting way to describe that. My <sighs> God. <laughs> what happened to Nulls, though? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. What good happened question. to Nulls? Though there is a comic uh, that takes place after this where they explain that he got mutated and killed in the explosion as well. But, I mean, as far as the movie's yeah. continuity goes, yeah, they never, he just kind of disappears. All right, so so my favorite thing about the movie, uh, apart from all the other things, the, the cheating bitch comment, the, you know, don't want to spend the rest of this winter tied to the fucking couch, all that, all well and good. My favorite thing about the movie is that in the intro... When you see the thing, that is a fucking burning trash bag. Like, that's all it is. They they could not find a better way to do it. So they literally just, like, outlined some trash bag and then set it on fire, and that was the title. Wow. <laughs> that's just, that's, that's just creative, shows, though. It is. It, it is ingenious, and it just shows, like, how willing uh, they, like, how far they were willing to go uh, to keep the practical effects like purely practical, and it's it's just like a charming thing. Maybe it's just a metaphor. This film is a s- flaming pile of garbage. <laughs> Benoit, we've been we've been talking for about forty minutes. I ain't had to had to. Or I, I haven't wanted to punch you yet. Uh, <laughs> change is like, quick. How dare you, sir? <laughs> <laughs> I, of, hey, man. Of, of, of all the movies we've done for the, all the horror so far up to this point, this is probably my favorite. Because after watching uh, Jason X and Evil Dead 2, I was like, yeah, this, this one I actually enjoyed. <laughs> I had some issues with it. Don't get me wrong. It's not right. perfect by no means, but I, I don't understand people who hate this movie because I'm like, this is actually pretty good. And it, it still holds up the practical effects. They're shot in such a way to where there's not too much light on it. So it doesn't look terribly aged and just the right. acting and stuff is they they are caricatures more so than actual characters, but you get enough of them to, you know, believe and, and care about the stakes and, you know, what happens to these characters. So I thought this was actually a pretty good movie and it held up, you know, after 30 some odd years, like it's still pretty good. I agree with that. Yeah. For, for the era, for the late seventies, early eighties, between this, the original Friday the 13th, mm-hmm. Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, this was actually a really good time period for horror films. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they hit that hot streak and then. Uh, they got it right like once with Scream in the 90s, and then after that, it has been a shit show <laughs> for 20 years. <laughs> Are we going to pretend that the Saw movies don't exist? Is that what we're saying right now? No, okay. Well, okay. No, they're, so they're the- terrible. I'm not defending the Saw movies. <laughs> the first one's okay. Everyone after that is just trash. I will heartily agree with that one. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess it's about time to punch the clock. This has been the Work-Life Imbalance Podcast. I'm Frank Eastman. I'm Derek Lewis. And I'm here for the lols. <laughs> and I'm Mike C. Square. And with that, I think we're going to have to transfer you.